This is The Hidden Why Podcast, episode 1086, my interview with Jotham Stein, and we're discussing his book, Negotiate Like a CEO. Enjoy. Jotham, welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here today. Great to be on your show, Lee. Thanks for having me on. Uh, for those that are listening, there is a nice backdrop there. You've got a beautiful fireplace. Where about in the world are you? I'm actually in Half Moon Bay, California, uh, on the coast, about three blocks from the Pacific Ocean. Wow, amazing. What a location, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm speaking to you I, from my home office. Uh, I have an office in Palo Alto, California. Uh, I have one in Chicago as well and, and in New York, but in uh, Silicon Valley is where Palo Alto is, and that's where I practice, uh, started practicing and, and principally practice, although I do have, although I do represent people across the country and, and have offices in Chicago and New York. So you're a practicing, um, are you a lawyer or operate a law firm? Uh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I own my own law firm, have some lawyers who work for me, and uh, I am a practicing lawyer. I've been doing that for more than 20, 25 years, representing oh. entrepreneurs and executives and people at all levels in their careers, actually. Okay. And so you started off in Silicon Valley? I started off in Silicon Valley uh, because I went to Stanford Law School. I'm actually originally from the East Coast of the United States, which is uh -huh. 3,000 miles or I don't know what, 5,000 something kilometers away. Uh, but I went to Stanford, and uh, once I got here, I, I never left, except I took a digression to Chicago, which is why I have a Chicago office for 11 years. So you got multiple offices? Yeah, yeah, one here uh, in Palo Alto uh, or in my home office when I want to go to the beach, which is frequently, and so I work out of my home office often. Uh, Palo is not too far away. That's obviously the heart of Silicon Valley, and, yeah. uh, and I have office in Chicago, Chicago land, and then uh, in, in New York State. Okay, curiosity just kills me. So it's um, what is it about Silicon Valley? Like, tell us about your experience there. Twenty five years. What have you seen? Uh, your experience, I suppose, from start to now. Well, uh, I've seen uh, almost. You know, I always say, well, now I learned something new. But I've seen quite a few experiences from a lot of the corner cases all the way to uh, to almost anything you read about or hear about in Silicon Valley in terms of entrepreneurship, in terms of starting companies. Uh, in, in terms of having good results, in terms of having bad results. It's the reason why I wrote the book, I Negotiate Like a CEO. It's uh, to help mm. people after after seeing this so, so much what's going on. I figured there's so many people out there whose life is, is starting a company or, or is working at a company. Uh, it's a career and uh, they have no idea how to protect themselves from the downsides that can happen, uh, which can happen lots and frequently. It happens all the time, happening right now uh, to someone. And so that's why I wrote a book, um, the, the book, because I'd seen everything um, you could see. Uh, I'm sure there are more things to be invented in both in the upsides and downsides. So I don't want to I don't want to be too arrogant about it. But I've seen quite a bit. No hair yeah. on my head. And so uh, I thought, OK, let's help people uh, write a book for entrepreneurs, for executives, for anybody who's starting out uh, in the career, mid-level executives uh, to really uh, open their eyes so they can go in. If they have any leverage at all, the theme in the book is protect yourself. If you're, an, if you're starting a company, um, your dream, your desire is your company, you want to grow your company, but you got to watch out for those people who might be investing in your company, whether it's a small family business and it's your brother or whatever, or whether it's a much larger, you have a much larger goal in taking an outside capital. Same thing with mm. employees. It's a little different probably in Australia to protect yourself for employees, but certainly across America, um, um, lots of employees who have leverage should do their best to protect themselves if they can. So really looking for those um, executives or entrepreneurs that are starting a business, is that sort of 
when they're setting up in that stage? Is that what the book's sort of tailored for? Actually, throughout their career, because, yeah. for example, using an entrepreneur, um, an entrepreneur might, might uh, start a business and after two or three years might need to protect him or herself against, say, an investor who's, who might be putting in money. And, and the goal of the investor might be someday to take away the business from the entrepreneur, as an right. example. If we're yeah. using an employee, regardless of the level in, of employee, if employee gets a promotion, for example, they might have more leverage to negotiate. Uh, if they're worried about a change of control and them being fired, for example, where one company gets acquired by another company, even in the middle of their career, they might, might find it very useful. But in the beginning, before everybody starts out, I mean, it's probably the best book you can ever have if you're going into business when you graduate from you know, from undergraduate, from college, because it'll set you up the rest of your career, what to look out for. And even mm. if you can't negotiate early on because you have no leverage, at least you'll go in with your eyes wide open. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So if we're listening to this entrepreneur, um, starting business or in a business, what are the things we, what you typically find people overlook as far as protecting themselves? I mean, you've probably got a, a, a whole bunch of things that they, they overlook, but what are some of the key points? Yeah. The, the thing they overlook is that things don't always go well and you might not be there um, even though it's your own metaphorical baby, it's your own company. You might not be there a year, two, five years later because someone else might get control of your, your baby, your medical baby and push you out. And so they overlook that reality and because they overlook the reality, they don't protect themselves. They don't get... Um, they don't need, many times they don't even read the documents entrepreneurs starting out and you can take it from a family, even a family business. So we can move out of the sort of venture capital finance, private equity finance, large investment finance, even in, even in small family owned businesses, you should often think about your exit, how you how you might leave the company or how you might buy out your partner from the company. If things go wrong, because mm -hmm. life changes. Uh, people yeah. change, experience changes, uh, and, and and things don't always go as well as you might imagine. So that's really what they're overlooking. And when they overlook the perspective that things might go wrong for them, and they might not be there to watch their baby go public, for example, they might be on the sidelines. Yeah. Uh, if they knew that in the beginning and didn't overlook it, they would be able to be in a much different mindset and be able so to sort of planning them. ahead for those worst case scenarios that might eventuate in the business life. Yeah, exactly. Plan from the very beginning uh, or just listen, we all hope everything goes really well in life. And we all hope that every relationship mm. we have personal and professional goes well, but it sometimes doesn't work that way. And when you're working, when, when you're talking about a, a, an entrepreneurship or a company, you're talking about somebody who's invested their life, not just their money, but their emotions and their talents and their expectations and their desires in a company. And so um, you just have to be aware that the company may not look the same in three or four years and it, and, and you might not have control of it. And so my idea is to, my, my message of the book is look out for number one, look out for yourself mm -hmm. when you start your company and, and protect yourself if you have any ability at all to do that. But do you, I mean, it's, it's obviously the law side of things is probably the nitty gritty that I don't want to really go into. Um, <laughs> I'll leave that to you. Thank you. But do you consult with people on this basis and sort of highlight these things? And can we, can we put things in place now or do we have to wait until that comes and just more, just have an awareness of what could happen? No. Uh, the problem is that the potholes can, uh, the potholes of, of your problems of an entrepreneur's problems or, or even a, an employee's problems can be here now. 
but you wouldn't realize that unless you had somebody who's a wise and old guy or wise and old woman who's been there before and seen the bad things. And so you want to be, the whole purpose of my book is learn about your potholes now, even if you can't do anything about them now, learn about them because they, they can exist now. So what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. um, if you take in, if you start a company early on, you take an outside investment. Well, an investor who's sophisticated um, knows sort of the way a life cycle of a company and knows what might happen down the road and therefore knows what to put in the documents when they don't, they don't just give you money, right? You got to sign documents for the money and they know what to put in there to protect the investor. Well, that's a potential pothole for you. And if you starting out a company have no idea about that pothole, you're going into a relationship, in this case, a professional business relationship yeah. uh, 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 without, without full information. And so mm. you might as well have full information, which is the whole point of my book. And if you have any leverage, as you as, as people often do when they take an outside investment, you can hopefully protect yourself. I mean, uh, and, and what does protection mean? Protection mm -hmm. means in the case of an entrepreneur, uh, well, will you be in control of the company down the road? Will you always have a seat on the board of directors down the road? If somebody is going to have more power than you, will you get your equity? The, the equity is another name for stock or ordinary shares. I'm not sure what they call it in Australia yeah, yeah. Um, or, or, or profits interest. Make sure you get that because many of, oftentimes investors require as part of their investment that that entrepreneurs revest their shares. So they, they they have to work for those shares again. But if those investor, if those uh, entrepreneurs get fired while they're working for the shares they once owned completely, mm. they won't have as many shares in the company. Just using some, some examples. Um, and it, it, it's just a it's just business and it's potholes that exist. And, and, you know, the entrepreneur, like I said, he, he, he or she dreams about the company and they're really good at building a company. It doesn't matter whether, what it is, could be Wi-Fi, could be, could be internet games. It could be a uh, retail, whatever, yeah. whatever the uh, security, uh, whatever they're building, that's their dream. And that's what they're good at. So they're not so good at knowing how to protect themselves um, and, and what to watch out for and the potholes. Yeah. Mm. Take it, taking it, taking the other perspective. Somebody who's giving investment, they do it professionally. They know what the potholes are, and they know how to take advantage of them. So you want to have full information and 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 start now if you can. Okay, so interesting. Um, the title of the book, "Negotiate Like a CEO." Um, why did you choose that title for the book? Sure, uh, I can't speak for Australia. I want to be clear because I'm I don't want to have like thousands of people calling you and saying, Lee, what the hell are you talking about? But at least in the United States of America and in many other countries, so I can't speak for Australia specifically, what do CEOs do before they join a company? The great majority of them and the ones that are experienced and in almost every public company in the United States, what do they do? They negotiate their separation agreement on day one before they even begin work, All right? They put in the protections in case they get fired or are forced out down the road. Because right. they know that board of directors on any day can decide, okay, we're getting rid of you. Now, they have leverage to do that. Uh, but what I, I don't know a CEO in the world. I know there must be one or two because I say this every time. <laughs> but who goes into a company as a CEO and doesn't think they're going to make the company the best thing since sliced bread. And get to grow the company or sell the company or whatever the goal is and do it really well. right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be a CEO. But yeah. even though they, they all believe in themselves and they all believe they're going to make this company great. Um, whatever company it is and whatever they're doing and in whatever country, Australia perhaps aside, because I can't speak mm. for it, uh, yeah. you know, that they're still protecting themselves from getting fired because they know that, uh, you know, things change. They know right. that somebody might want to replace them for, by the way, because they do a bad job 
or because they're doing a great job and somebody is firing them for economically irrational reasons. They don't like them. They want to put their buddy in place. You know, uh, they Whatever decided uh, yeah. something went wrong 50 years ago and they're and they're and they're going to fire them for that reason. So so that's what that's what. So CEOs they come do. into the business with their separation agreement. All yeah, sorted. I call it a professional prenuptial agreement. That's exactly okay. what they do. So yeah. hence negotiate like a CEO is if you the regular employee or you the midlife level manager, you getting out of college or you a C-suite executive, wouldn't you want to do the same thing like the CEO if you have leverage, which is to negotiate like a CEO, which is to use their experience, um, the aggregate and, you know, to, to protect yourself. And sometimes mm -hmm. protection can be one line in a one line sentence in an offer letter. Uh, you know, a CEO might have a 12 or 15 page offer letter, but one of the things I talk about in the, or employment agreement. But one of the things I talk about and negotiate like a CEO is, uh, you know, we all can sometimes put in a, a, a very powerful one sentence or two sentences that's in a, in a one or two page offer letter that is as protective or more protective than an employment agreement that goes on for 15 pages. Mm. Interesting. So there must be some skill there. Um, and negotiation, I suppose, and I'll get your thoughts on this, beneficial not just in that situation, but in, in all life aspects, right? Oh yeah, I mean a lot of life is about negotiation. I, I focus on in uh, the business world and entrepreneurs and executives and and every, employees and their employment and 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 vis-a-vis -vis investors. But but it's you we we all negotiate in many different areas uh, mm. of uh, of life. And so uh, sometimes some might say to better yourself, you have to negotiate with all sorts of people, including in your personal life. But that the, the focus of my book is the professional world. Yeah, but I suppose the skills can be transferable. Um, a lot of the people I bring on this uh, podcast um, share things that generally can be transferable to many aspects of life. Oh um, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, taking it aside from a very you know a specific tool of negotiation, hmm. you know, a more pleasant person that is more interactive with somebody is probably on the whole going to get along better with their board of directors, and alternatively with people outside surfing or at restaurants, then will somebody otherwise, right? And they have an advantage. I think the social psychologist would tell you they have an advantage if somebody is likable in both circumstances. So there are certainly, that that's outside of the actual specific skills. But yes, there are ways, there are certainly skills that I talk about in my book that would be useful in, in, in private or regular life. I just don't, don't, yeah, yeah. don't focus on it. There. I appreciate that. What, um, do you feel like the word negotiate has a negative connotation some to some people, I guess, to different people? Uh, unfortunately, that's the true statement, um, yeah. particularly uh, if you look at my country in the United States now, uh, politically in the political world, it seems to be that there's, you know, the two sides and, and nobody wants to, uh, nobody, everybody talks down on somebody who wants to negotiate and bridge the gap between the, in the politics. So I'm just using that as, Mm. That can then, as a, as a, as a, you can extrapolate from that. It's often the case now um, that people take a, a particular view, whatever it is, X, and they don't want to, and somebody else has Y, and they speak down upon Y, for example, and they don't want to try to work out whatever X plus Y divided by two is, right? And so like that's it. a problem. Mm. Whereas in the old days in our in our in in America, of course, the old days by American standards, like Australia is new, but. Anybody in Europe's listening to this, they're like, what the hell is this guy talking about? But in the 1800s, we had uh, politicians who were known as the great negotiator, right? It was uh -huh. considered it was considered a, a skill and something to be venerated, whether you can uh -huh. negotiate. Mm -hmm. And I think actually in the business world, 
um, in the business world, unlike sort of what I was describing as this negative connotation in, in let, let's say the non-business world, um, it, it's a it's it's very highly sought after. I mean, the best negotiators, at least for companies, are often what they call the uh, once was called executive worldwide uh, vice president of worldwide sales, executive vice president of worldwide sales, sometimes now known as the chief revenue officer. Those people are skilled at at negotiation and building teams of negotiators. Um, they're salespeople, but that's what they're doing. And mm. so it's very good negotiators are very, very highly sought after in certain fields. I'm just saying perhaps the body politic now. Has yeah, a terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good, good point. Now, how would you put a positive spin on the word negotiation or, or I'd the practice say of negotiating? Getting along in life is integral, I think, if you care about people and getting along with life and negotiation is, is part of that uh, with uh, in, in many parts of your life. So um, in, in a personal life and in, and, in, and in public life, you may not ever call it negotiation in personal life or think about it that way. But compromise is something that can can, yeah. can you know, be good for all of us. And, and compromise is a form of negotiation. Right. So what. um there's probably a bunch of questions I could come here, but let's just go into the improving our negotiation skills. What what sort of key points or maybe a few points that you'd suggest we focus on to improve our ability to negotiate? Um, well, uh, first thing is start out and figure out what your goals are in any business negotiation. Where do you want to go? Uh -huh. uh, secondly, consider yourself, are you a good negotiator? Consider your strengths and weaknesses. Some people are terrible negotiators and, and or they avoid negotiation because they're risk averse, uh, not, yeah. because they're conflict avoiders. And if that's the case, then, um, you know, uh, uh, get some help, whether it's professional help or personal help or some wise and old person that's seen it before so that you can maximize your returns in negotiation. A third, yeah. a third point is try to figure out what the other side is thinking or what the other side's goals are. That's part of what the, 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 the part of the theme of the book is um, know the potholes. So those potholes are, are out there. If you don't, if you go into negotiation without full information um, and one, one piece of that information is what the other side is looking for, what the other side is protecting themselves against, uh, then, then you're going in um, without full, uh, you're going in um, um, not with full information. And so you're handicapped. So yeah. those are sort of three three different um, um, tools uh, that are important or, or things I would say is important. There's many others. Um, and at the end of every chapter in my book is a, is a things to remember section with bullet points. So Good. Um, that would I be, like that. you could just go, go read the, go read the bullet points at the end of all the sections <laughs> and then you would cover all the points. So yeah, it makes sense. I understand your goals and what, what you want in the situation, but also understanding what the other party wants and trying to figure that out. And I guess that comes down to skillful communication as well. Um, makes a lot of sense because then you can you can find out the happy medium. Um, I always find that negotiation sometimes has a term like, you know, I'm going to win over the other person, um, but it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the dynamic and uh, dynamics, mm. but often a negotiation results in, um, you know, a compromise so that nobody gets 100% of what they want. Uh, and, uh, but they hopefully both walk away or both as metaphorical could be multiple parties, could be companies, um, walk away satisfied with the result. And that's, yeah. that's sort of the goal. So, and listen, sometimes there's a, there's a, a, you know, disconnect between the powers of the leverage and the negotiation, but even the, the party with, with little leverage will hopefully get something of what it wanted out of the negotiation. How can you create leverage if you don't have much leverage? Like if you're an employee starting out at a company and, 
you know, don't have much leverage. Obviously, the company has more leverage because potentially they've got the upper card. So that question that you just asked me presupposes uh, uh, that, a, that a newbie, if you will, a new person going in doesn't have any leverage. So mm. that may be true, frankly. It's all context dependent. But yeah, in other yeah. circumstances, it's not. For example, coders who write code for software. Uh, in many places, they are very highly sought after. When they come out of college, I'm amazed to see how much money they make because they have leverage because there's not enough coders or not enough engineers in certain places. There are, there are companies that start start subsidiaries in other places. I know one in Australia because they feel they can get engineers cheaper um, and just as good as, say, Silicon Valley or some other place. But that means the engineer happens to be in Silicon Valley might have leverage to negotiate. Again, I'm not talking about leverage like a CEO, but leverage to protect themselves in some way. What do I mean by protection? Again, this is an American um, and an at-will concept, which is a little different than, than in other places where you have required separation and severance agreements. But part of leverage is guaranteeing yourself, for example, if you get fired, um, some amount of equity in your company, accelerated vesting. Protection mm. would be guaranteeing yourself cert certain amount of pay on the back end. Um, when you're terminated or, or asked to go or asked to move on, that you get a certain amount of pay. In the case of the United States, um, certain kind of medical benefits as well that are paid by the company. These are kinds of protections that I'm describing. And um, you are correct. Generally, many, many people going into companies, um, a, a, a new employee, um, they're so desperate to get a job or they have no leverage because the company can hire somebody else that they don't have leverage at that point. Uh, but some do. And then throughout their career, they have, may have more. Uh, uh, for example, they get a promotion and their choice is to go somewhere else or to take the promotion. Well, at that point, they have leverage, right? And so um, uh, things, you know, it's very dynamic. So it's all context dependent. What are the, the signals, I guess, you'd pick up on in maybe negotiations where the other parties, you know, trying to pull one over you um, without your notice? Because I think in, in some situations, and again, contextually based, but um, you can get quite excited about an opportunity and go into a negotiation without that, you know, foresight. So I'm sorry. So you're excited about, I, I think I missed the beginning part of the question. So you're excited about a situation. You're really excited about going into the, into the, whatever the job is or the investment is. And what was the first part of it? Well, if, if the other party's trying to, to pull one over you, you know, and, and you're not actually focused on the negotiations there. Well, that's the problem, right? That's what yeah. I said. A lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs, going back to that example, they're so excited to get funding that they don't look out the, for the potholes. They don't look out mm. for themselves and they assume that everything's going to go well. That's yeah. the same thing when you get excited about something. It doesn't matter what the job is or the entrepreneurship is or, the, or, or whatever it is in business. When you get really excited about it, um, that's great because that's going to be passionate. You're going to be really interested in doing it. So I don't want to take away from that, but you still have, should ask yourself in a jaded way, how do I protect myself from this yeah, okay. situation? Because something might go wrong and it often does. You could be excited you know, for six months and then month seven, things go downhill um, for any number of reasons. And um, that's the whole point. Um, or if you want to go in and just allow yourself to be excited and take that job or take that investment or do that strategic business or whatever it is, or start a business with your family, whatever it is you're going to be doing, and you want to do that, at least coldly and calculatingly decide for yourself that you're not going to protect yourself. You're going to take that risk. You you know what the potholes are and you go into the relationship yeah, knowing that knowing that your eyes were wide open and you took the risk. That's the yeah. whole point. If you read my book, You'll know all the 
potholes or most of the potholes because new potholes happen all the time, but you'll know the questions to ask to protect yourself on other potholes that I don't even know about yet. And, and, and if you don't have leverage or you want to say, I'll take the risk, that's fine. As long as you do it with your eyes know. wide open and, yeah. and, you, and you've told yourself that that's what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, conflict in negotiations. What are the common errors you see coming up with people in negotiations? Uh, negotiations have life cycles. So, yeah. uh, you know, they have a beginning and an end. And the more experienced you are, the more you can see how they work out. So, um, you know, people negotiate differently. Uh, and yeah. Some negotiate, uh, 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 you know, hardball all the time or whatnot. So um, the there are all sorts of mistakes, quote unquote, that can be made over over time. But perhaps the I don't want to say it's the biggest one of the mistakes is not understanding the life cycle of negotiation and that somebody may be saying something or taking a position. But uh, on day one, which uh, if you're experienced or you've thought about it or you've figured out the other dynamics, the chances of them being in that same position on day five is is low. They might be. But, you know, a lot of a lot of what it is in negotiation, as it is um, in other experiences in life or even negotiating an employment agreement, for example, is risk-taking, right? You always have to, there's always some risk that the other side will say no, or the other side will walk to the door. That's part of what your part of your negotiation and your calculation. Mm -hmm. um, but still, um, um, just because there's conflict or somebody's taken an aggressive position or a position um, that you that's a deal breaker for you on day one doesn't mean it's going to be the same position on day five. Right. So I guess time sometimes would be a, a good suggestion for people in negotiations. Yeah, take, take time and let things play out. Listen, they could play out in 30 minutes and that's over. But a lot of times in negotiation and, and, and uh, you know, there are people involved, right? We just talked about that. Everybody's different. And so mm. it might take time, um, depending on what you're negotiating, to get to, to get to an answer. You know, there are some deals that take months and months, if not years, to negotiate. I have employment agreements you know, that I've assisted people in negotiating clients in negotiation that take, you know, half, that take months for sure um, uh, on both ends, employment and change of control and mm, uh, mm. all ends, not just both ends. And then on separation agreements too. I suppose time can be used um, as a tactic sometime rather than give people time, give them less time to try and get decisions done quickly. All the time. Both yeah. of those tactics on both ends of the spectrum can be used um, to one's benefit or to or, or against one to one's detriment. That mm. happens all the time. And so, uh, I mean, there's one part of the book that I describe what I call the employment cram down, uh, which is essentially um, when an acquirer taking over a target company. So now one company's bought the other um, and they want to sign up all the, the, the new executives. They give them their employment agreements 48 hours before the close to try to force them to sign whatever the deal is on the table and not negotiate. I use that as one example. Yeah, um, other you say that often, don't you? Mm. Yeah, very often, very often. And and on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes people say, "Ah, oh, well, you know, come back to me two months from now, even though they want it, they want the person, the other side, whoever it is, the company to come back to them, you know, in, in, in next day. But they say two months just to sort of play, you know, put a, Hey, cool. Put a lengthy time in the in the in the in the negotiation. And what is one to... what is one final point you'd like to say about negotiating like CEO? Go into every negotiation with your eyes wide open, every in yeah. business relationship with your eyes wide open, and protect yourself if you have any leverage at all. Whether you're starting out a business, whether you're in the middle of a business, whether you're taking an investment, whether you're starting out as an employee, whether you're a mid-level employee or a CEO. 
if you have any leverage at all, go in with your eyes wide open and protect yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, good advice. Um, so the book is available on Amazon, uh, Negotiate Like a CEO. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for everyone to check it out. Um, how's the book sure. sales going, mate? How's the launch? It's done quite well. Uh, I'm I'm very pleased, and uh, and you can get it on Amazon, and and or you can go to the website negotiate uh, like a CEO book.com and and learn a little bit more about me and about the book. And I think there are one thing we didn't talk about. There are two. There are some excerpts on the book in there. One of the things we didn't talk about is that there are a 59 short uh, uh, non uh, uh, fictional stories that I made up, which are repeat stories of events that happen over and over again. Think of them like genres, like you have an action movie or a, a thriller movie or a, or, a, or, a, or a romance movie. So these kind of stories happen over and over again in the entrepreneurial and executive world. And I and I wrote them. Um, I, I wrote them to underscore the facts that I'm writing about um, and, and the factual advice I'm writing about. And so there's a couple of those excerpts on the website as well, if you wanted to get a um, a little taste. But otherwise, you can go to um, Amazon. It's available to 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 buy. Um, and if you're in the states, at least you can get it delivered the next day by Prime. Yeah, it's pretty amazing delivery these days, isn't it? Quick. It's pretty pretty amazing how Amazon does that, but yeah. good for me as a, as an author selling absolutely, a book. absolutely. Well, congratulations on the book, and thank you for coming on and sharing. Thank you very much. It's great to be on your show, Lee, and best of luck to you and all your listeners. Thanks, guys. Check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.